0: This episode of Geeks Guide to the Galaxy is made possible thanks to support from listeners like you. So if you enjoy the show and want it to continue, please sign up to give us a dollar or two per episode over at patreon.com slash geeks. And if you'd rather make a one-time contribution, you can do that via check or PayPal over at geeksguideshow.com slash crowdfunding. And I want to give a special thank you to Galena Fredkina, who just made a very generous contribution to the show via PayPal. Galena writes, thank you for your podcast especially for the Dune, Picard, and Time Loop episodes. So big thanks again to Galena Fredkina and to everyone else who's contributed. We really appreciate it. All right, so now let's get to our show.
1: Wired.com presents The Geek's Guide to the Galaxy. And here is your host, David Barr Kirtley.
0: Hello, and welcome to episode 451 of Geeks Guide to the Galaxy. Today on the show, we'll be discussing season one of Star Trek Lower Decks, a new animated series from former Rick and Morty showrunner Mike McMahon. And this will include spoilers for every episode of the show. So just be aware of that. And I'm joined by three guests. So first up, we've got Sarah Lynn Mishner making her 21st appearance on the show. She's a trans-supporting Ravenclaw Trekkie maker-feminist who writes at Medium and lives in Connecticut with a Renaissance engineer in a small zoo. She considers Star Trek to be her third and best parent. So, Sarah, welcome to the show.
2: Happy to be here.
0: Then next up, we've got Raphael Jordan making his 14th appearance on the show. He's written over 25 feature films, including Lost Colony, The Legend of Roanoke, The Immortal Voyage of Captain Drake, and Star Runners. He also co-created and co-wrote Salvage Marines, an upcoming space opera series starring Armand Sante and Casper Van Dien, as well as an upcoming supernatural drama series for The CW. He's also the lead guitarist of Visera, an L.A.-based rock band who just released a sci-fi concept album, Siren Star. So, Rafael, welcome to the show. Always a pleasure. And also joining us today is Christopher M. Savasco, making his 12th appearance on the show. He's the former editor of Paradox Magazine. And his short fiction appears in magazines such as Nightmare and Beneath Ceaseless Skies. He's also written 19 Dungeons & Dragons supplements, including the best-selling Falozio's Ultimate Guide to Poison, which are available now through the Diem's Guild website. He's currently seeking representation for the first book in an alternate history trilogy with a dash of magic, as well as three other historical novels. So, Chris, welcome to the show. Glad to be back. All right, so let's start off with Raphael. So, Raphael, it's been a while since I talked to you about Star Trek. So even before we get to Lower Decks, I was just curious, what have you thought of Star Trek, kind of the direction of the the Star Trek franchise with uh, Discovery and Picard and and everything?
1: (laughs) That's a tough question. I, I have a lot of friends who are purists when it comes to this stuff and aren't really into basically anything since 2005. Admittedly, I enjoy all of it for various reasons. I think they all kind of have their unique pleasures. I've really enjoyed uh, Picard, Discovery, Lower Decks, the Kelvinverse movies. I'm here for all of it, man.
0: <laughs>
1: um, and so then,
0: um, I, you know, I talked to, to Chris and Sarah two episodes ago uh, a little bit about Lower Decks and I hadn't seen it. So they kind of encouraged me to watch it. Um, so Raphael, had you, uh, did you watch Lower Decks when it first came out or like, how did, what made you, uh, watch it?
1: Uh, I was a little hesitant at first. Uh, you know, I wasn't sure if I was really going to like it. But um, I was definitely won over by the third or the fourth episode. And I know it might be sacrilegious to say, it might be my favorite Star Trek thing right now. I think I would take this show over any other future show. I, I need more of Lower Decks.
0: <laughs> well, well, that's yeah. So let's uh, let's talk about that. But I I think it's interesting that you said that you um, you weren't sure you were going to like it and. Uh, Chris and Sarah said the same thing. Mm-hmm. And certainly I, you know, I don't think I'd even really heard of this. I, I think I just logged into CBS all access to watch Discovery. And then it's like, oh, there's also the Star Trek cartoon. And, um, you know, it didn't, I didn't, you know, I, for whatever reason, it didn't really appeal to me, even though I like animation and I like Star Trek and I like science fiction cartoons and everything. um, So I guess that's the first thing I want to talk about. Why, why does, does anyone have any ideas about why this show kind of <laughs> doesn't make a good first impression even before you've even watched any of it. Um why do why I th- I do we think all that have a that a lot of
2: it uh probably has to do with just you know, we have so many preconceptions about animated uh shows and you kind of in a lot of extremes, you know, you have sort of the uh family guy stuff, Beavis and buttheads, you know, adults cartoon stuff, and then you have on the other end of it, um Star Trek uh, the animated series, which is honestly the only Star Trek that I have not watched in full uh, because I find it, you know, relatively juvenile and, and and a little boring. I think I liked it when I was a kid. Uh, but, you know, it's just sort of you have these two polar extremes and you know that the likelihood that, that, that the new animated thing, whatever it is, is going to fall into one of those. Um, and there isn't really an in-between there, you know, I, I, it would be kind of nice actually, if there were, Um, you know, it's either sort of on the, definitely for adults spectrum or the definitely for kids spectrum. So it'd be nice if there were sort of a Pixar of, (laughs) Hmm. you know, animated uh, comedy series that was both for adults and children, but we don't really have that yet. And so I think because people have strong preconceptions about their existing experiences with those cartoons, it's difficult for people to detach from that and have a fresh perspective.
0: Yeah. And the, the, the Star Trek animated series you mentioned in case people don't know is from the seventies, uh, ran for two seasons. I've never actually watched it. Um, I don't know if, uh, Chris or Raphael I, ever,
3: I have not watched it either. Um, I, I, and it's the only track that I haven't watched, um, at all. So no. do you have like an anti-cartoon? No, no, I, bias mean, I, or... I definitely don't. Um, You know, part of it probably is a little bit of what Sarah was saying. I think for me, it's more just a weird kind of hang up that I have in general when there's something that I enjoy and I'm into and passionate about, like Star Trek. Uh, You know, I don't like when shows in general kind of try to, you know, mix it up and change format or go with like, oh, let's have a comedic episode. Let's have a musical episode. Those sorts of things just always fall flat for me. Uh, Even when they're really well done, Um, you know, and you know, it just sort of throws me out of the the sort of uh, you know the verisimilitude of the the world, Um, and I just don't like it. It just breaks continuity Hmm. for me somehow. And 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 not just when it comes to cartoon versus live action. I mean, I think that's with anything. Like, I'm not into things like Board of the Rings, you know, by the the Harvard Lampoon, or you know, it it doesn't matter the format. I'm just sort of purist you know now that being said um you know i think when i went into it my hesitation was though this is just going to be something lampooning star trek and poking fun at something that you know uh, is near and dear to my heart but i think by the you know as rafael was saying and i think as we were mentioning last time by like the second third fourth episode uh it became more and more apparent that the writers here love it just as much as we all do and are deeply knowledgeable about the material and are writing it from from a place of love and respect, um, while gently poking fun at all the kind of stuff that we as Trekkies also like to talk about and, you know, point out the the foibles and the flaws of the of the earlier mm. shows.
1: Yeah, I'm actually a big fan of animation in general, and and Mike McMahon specifically. I really enjoyed Solar Opposites and his work on Rick and Morty, and I've seen the animated series, but I think what made me particularly skeptical here going into it was simply that this was going to be an awkward fit into the Star Trek canon. Like, how do you tow that line tonally where it's silly and funny, but also still heartfelt and serious and poignant? And I was actually very impressed and happy to be surprised. And, you know, to Mike, my, Mike McMahon admitted himself, they kind of figured it out by the last three or four episodes. They were still kind of figuring out what the show was for about half the season. And, you know, I think to, to the previous point, yeah, it, it takes diehard fans to really make fun of something well and lovingly like this, you know?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, when the... Um when the box popped up on CBS All Access, I, I think I, I I sort of just subconsciously even assumed like, oh, they are like making Star Trek Discovery and this is like, you know, sort of like, like a little bonus thing, you know, to sort of, you know, milk the franchise as much as they can. And, um you know, because um, we were talking last time about how they're trying to put as many Star Trek shows into production as possible so that there's always some new Star Trek thing coming out. So I wouldn't have necessarily thought that this was something that they were, you know, bringing their A-game to. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't I didn't know that Mike McMahon was involved. I'm actually a, a really big fan of Rick and Morty. And, um, you know, I, I think, like, part of the reason I like Rick and Morty so much is because a lot of the stories in it are really smart science fiction stories, even just leaving aside the humor. So, for example, the episode where... Um, there are these aliens, sort of these shape-shifting aliens, and they implant memories of themselves into your mind to make you think that you've known them your whole life. Uh, I think it's just a great idea, even if it weren't funny. You know, it's yeah. just a great concept. Um, so, you know, so so Chris and Sarah recommended this show, and then I went and looked and saw, oh, the, um, you know, the, the creator of it is the guy who is sort of, I think, the sort of big sci-fi guy uh, on Rick and Morty. You know, the one mm. who was most deeply um familiar with the genre yeah so that actually if i had known that i, I would have checked the show out
1: well you know sooner. and i think there's also something of a paradoxical nature to the show that had me dubious i mean i like the idea of sto- stories here or there about characters in the lower decks but how do you make a whole series out of that and in a way they're not doing that i mean to their by their own admission as the series goes on it involves the bridge crew more and more because that became necessary to tell better stories
0: yeah, I, I was really skeptical that they would actually be able to do that. Um, I guess just uh, by way of background, there's an ex there's a and you guys all know um, Star Trek much better than I do. But there's an episode of the original ser- of sorry, of uh, Next Generation called The Lower Decks, uh, where you see some of the yeah, the, the the sort of more minor or people in minor roles on the ship that you you wouldn't normally see. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this is kind of, you know, riffing off of that. Um
3: but, which, was, um, a, which was a great episode, too. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and they also did a similar thing in Voyager. Voyager, uh, yeah. Uh, I don't remember what the episode was called, but it was the one where Janeway takes the sort of lower deck crew on a on a mission.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I love the privile- privileged glimpse into these lower decks and the characters that uh, live there but invariably as the show goes on they get promoted you know we've already seen how Boimler gets promoted beckett mm. resists it but eventually she will be presumably i mean that's just going to be the character arc so you know they won't be lower decks for long
0: <laughs> well that's what uh, cuz i've heard you know that the uh, if you ever watched um, the first episode of um, the west wing you know, it's all about the people who work for the president. And then you don't ever really see the president. He just comes in at the very end of the episode and makes a big speech. And and the the original plan for the West Wing was for every episode to be like that. But then there's just sort of like, you know, if the president is the one making the decisions, it's hard not to have him become more and more of a character. And I feel like there's probably a, a similar dynamic with a Star Trek show where you're trying to not make it about the bridge crew. But if they're the ones making all the doing all the coolest stuff and making all the big decisions... How long do you avoid sort of that gravitational pull? Yeah. Um, but um, I don't know, Sarah. What do you think? What do you think about this? Just this basic idea of focusing on the the lower decks kind of characters.
2: I think it's great, especially. I mean, the 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 lower decks episode of TNG is such a tearjerker. You know, it's it's one of the best. You know, very dramatic episodes uh, that they've done. It's the kind of episode where you might, you know use that that episode to introduce somebody who's not familiar with star trek who's never watched any star trek to let them know what it's about um just kind of showcase what star trek can do uh so it was kind of amusing that they took this incredibly you know serious episode um and and decided to sort of center the idea of this this spoof around it um but Yeah. I mean, I, I think it, it kind of works because so much of the show on a meta level is not just making fun of Star Trek. And as you said, from a loving perspective, not, you know, not a, I mean, we're we're sort of laughing with Star Trek. We're not laughing at it, you know? Um, and, uh, but not only that, but also it's sort of making fun of Trekkies, like the way that, you know, the, the Trekkies documentary, uh, was to watch as a Trekkie. So, you know, and, and a lot of this, you know, is, is born of meme culture. You know, there's, there's a group on Facebook called Star Trek shitposting. It's probably the group that I spend the most time in um as a Trekkie online. Um, you know, a lot of the normie Star Trek groups can get a little bit irritating. And so weirdly enough, there's more, there's better content <laughs> in the Star Trek <laughs> shitposting group. Uh, and a lot of the jokes come directly from Star Trek shitposting. And pe- the members of the group were very proud of that. And we were always spent like about two weeks trying to figure out, okay, who are the members, you know, the secret spies who hmm. actually work for this writing staff? Because we know that they are in this group. <laughs> So, you know, it's just, it's really funny. I mean, a lot of it is, you know, a lot of the jokes, the in jokes are Star Trek beams and things that people have made fun of the series for years, but it always is absolutely from, you know, perspective of, of loving Star Trek, which is sort of what makes it wholesome.
0: Yeah. I'm I think there's sort of a natural inclination going into, especially a cartoon like this to be like, Oh, are these guys real Star Trek fans, you know? And, um, and they definitely are. I mean, they're much. I, I, I'd have to say they're much bigger Star Trek fans than than I am. I mean, there were so many things in the show where I'm like, okay, I know this is a reference to something, but I mean, I, or, you know, I can just tell that this is a reference to something, but I, you know, yeah. I sure don't know the reference.
3: Well, that that's another thing that that I love about it is it's. You know i mean on the one hand, it's enjoyable for the for the comedic aspects, but it's also a real deep dive into star trek lore that's just you know it, it's not just the lower deck characters there's like sort of the lower deck uh you know um bits of history and lore from Star trek that they're bringing back to life i mean you mm. know uh you know the big villains in in the final episode were you know those uh what are they called the Pack, pack- leds pack-leds. yeah i mean that yeah. that they came out of left field, but that was so. Cool to kind of see, oh yeah, what's been going on with them? Wow. Okay. You know, I mean, uh, and, and, and all kinds of things just throughout, uh, from beginning to end of the, of the season, you know, where, you know, uh, it it was just so much fun seeing all of these things coming, you know, back into focus. You know, as I'm saying this though, it makes me wonder, both for, you know, appreciating the humor and for appreciating the lore and all that. I wonder if this show would even be remotely enjoyable to someone who'd never watched any Star Trek.
1: Well, funny you ask. Uh, you right. just reminded me because, you know, I watched it with my girlfriend who is not a Trekkie. She just okay. kind of casually watches the modern movies and whatever I force her to watch, you know. <laughs> but um, she really enjoyed it. Uh, she actually liked it a lot. But admittedly, I was pausing it every two minutes to say, like, oh, let me explain this. this is, you, you, to really appreciate what's going on here, you have to know the, what they're calling back. And eventually, I think she got irritated with me. She's like, just play it already. I'm enjoying it <laughs> fine. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's great. Yeah. Okay. Well, good. Good. I'm glad
3: that people can enjoy it on on that level too. Yeah,
1: because they did such a great job of balancing, like you know, obvious, overt callbacks to previous episodes, and just hidden little Easter eggs throughout that were just for you know a delight for the old school fans.
0: Yeah, and Chris, what you were just saying made, made me think we should explain that this is set one year after Star after the movie Star Trek Nemesis, so it's like very much sort of classic TNG era. Um, and, um, and it's before, I think Raphael and I were talking about this a little bit before mm-hmm. we started recording, but, um, you know, it's, uh, Star Trek Picard, I think picks up something like five years after this. Yeah. So, so this is, um, before, you know, and if you've seen Picard, you know, there's this sort of, um, replicant uprising kind of, you know, in the Federation kind of turning crappy and all this stuff. And so this is in this very sort of placid period in the, in the continuity where, yeah it does have just more of the flavor of of classic um next generation and so one of the things i've I've said on our previous Star Trek panels that has sort of you know frustrated me is that we keep going back in time, we keep doing prequels and and everything, and that it's just been great for me to see Picard moving forward and discovery moving forward and now this is you know i've I've always wanted like mm-hmm. I've always been kind of like, let's just see what happens after <laughs> totally. you know after after a Star Trek nemesis, and so you know that's another point in favor uh, of the show.
1: They really picked a perfect time period for the show because, yeah, essentially the most peaceful, stable time period in track history where everything is just pretty good. It's a great time to it's a great entry point for, you know, a show that's not too serious, but will probably get more serious over time.
2: I think they also understand from a marketing perspective, they are, you know, going after my generation and the people who were eight years old when TNG premiered. You know, so it's sort of, you know, grew up with the Internet, grew up with memes as, you know, as adults, uh, not 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 having it be part of our childhood. So I think that they also definitely made like a, a marketing ploy to the, the the lovers of nostalgia.
0: Yeah, well, so let's um, let's talk about the characters. So we have kind of four main characters, uh, Mariner, Boimler, Tendi and Rutherford. Um, so we kind of have, uh, a headstrong rebel, a sort of anxious, neurotic, uptight guy. Um, we have, uh, an Orion alien. So the, the green-skinned aliens who's, uh, uh, I guess she works in, in the medical, medical bay. And then Rutherford, uh, has a cyborg eye and works in engineering. So, um, Chris, what did you think,
3: uh, were your, uh, first impressions of those characters? Um, I... Again, I think the first two episodes it took me a while to warm to the characters as well as to the show and then after that I, I came to you know love them as much as I loved the the wider show um you know at first, the kind of in particular, I think the relationship between Mariner and Boimler was so frantic and adversarial and and kind of um in your face like you know almost like three Stooges routines with them poking each other in the eye all the time that Uh, you know it it was maybe a little grating at first but then i think they kind of first of all pulled back a little bit from that that level of antics and it became you know a more mature relationship um but yeah i mean i I think they're great characters i'm I'm really happy that they chose to make the orion character be this very earnest scientist rather than you know falling back on you know the, the typical orion characters like they didn't make her some sort of you know dancing bar girl or something right. <laughs> um and and rutherford is just is just amazing too you know i mean i he's riffing on some of the stuff that that you know we saw with Jordy with his ocular implants and he's and he's um he's he's an always sort of evolving character because that that implant you know gives him a variety of different things to play off of in in various episodes as it either malfunctions or um, as he, you know, it allows him to do, to do things that, that need to happen for the plot. So yeah, I I think it's a great bunch. Um, I I like all those four main characters.
0: Yeah. I guess I'll say with the characters is. I thought that, I mean, I I agree with you. I don't know. There's something, you know, and, and you and Sarah had warned me that you were sort of lukewarm on the first two episodes. So I kind of knew that going in. And I don't know if it's just that they're they're not as good or if uh, you just kind of like have to get used to the – it takes, you know, an hour or so to get used to the show or something. But um, I definitely, you know, it took me in- until, you know, three or four episodes in before I really got into it um, and before those characters really started clicking for me. I do think the dynamic is really good where there's this contrast between Boymore and Mariner, you know, where, like I said, that she's very, you know, like a rebel and he's, a, you know, sort of a, a dweeb. Um and i I really liked with Tenzi and Rutherford that they're both so into science, and I thought that the way they talk about technology and all the techno Babble and stuff was really well done i did I was feeling a little bit like there wasn't enough of a contrast between their characters that they kind of felt maybe too similar to me um so I don't know I'd be curious to hear
2: well i mean they're setting the they're setting those two up for romance i mean you just you just know that they're <laughs> that that is their end goal like i i you know, I, 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 totally bet the, the gold press Latin on that, that, that that's what they're <laughs> going to do because, you know, it's, it's just obvious. Um, and I love Tendy. She's so cute. I totally want to figure out how to do like a Tendy cosplay. Then whenever, mm-hmm. whenever we have Star Trek Las Vegas conventions again, which, you know, God knows how long it's going to be until we, till we do those again. But yeah, I, I, I love those characters and I, I really like that Mariner is, Really, way more complex uh especially you know when you get to the end of the season than than I had ever expected that an animated series would be mm-hmm. you know delving into all of this psychological stuff about why she would be basically an overachiever who then decides, you know what, fuck it I'm gonna you know rebel and and do my own thing, and for pretty complicated familial reasons um so it's a uh, weird to sort of find that even though you're watching this, all of this is sort of a joke that exists very much in isolation from the rest of the, the Star Trek universe, that you find yourself caring about these characters and, you know, invested in sort of uh, more character development than you're used to seeing in, in these animated things.
0: Mm-hmm. Do, you, do you think, Sarah, do you see Tendy and Rutherford as having distinct personalities from each other? Could you articulate what, if I, any, the d- differences are between them?
2: I think they're distinct, but I think they they play off each other. So, you know, it it might just be that they need to develop it a little more down the line, and maybe that's why, you know, they had Rutherford. Rutherford basically loses his memory, and there's this wonderful moment, you know, at the end. And there's a wonderful moment where Tendi's like you know, you think she's just going to be completely crushed. And instead, she's like, oh my god, this is so cool. We get to become best friends all over again. And she's just excited at this prospect of, you know, so that that's kind of what I mean is the sort of, I like that um there's a lot of unexpected, you know, character responses that make the characters seem more real, and more like themselves. And in that way, I think she was very different from Rutherford, because I think Rutherford would have been crushed if the situation were reversed if Tendy had lost her memory
0: yeah so he, yeah i I guess he's more um what's it fragile or something i guess or yeah. yeah. Um, Raphael, is there anything you want to say about those those main characters?
1: Sure. Um, you know, I think it's pretty interesting in terms of the character development over time. For a show that's largely episodic, they've done a great job, um, especially compared to other Trek shows that this kind of harks back to, like TNG. Because you know, usually those are kind of plot driven, and the character development happens very, very slowly, if at all. Um, but with this show, I know Mike McMahon and the writers set out to have a character arc, essentially, like character progress for each episode like what was going to happen to the character and build the story around that and i think like it's not an indictment on the first couple episodes that it does actually take a while for that to happen sometimes like in my experience shows take two to four or five episodes for that to really click like i was watching vagrant queen earlier in 2020 and there's a moment in the second episode where you're like I love these characters now. I get it. And I feel like with this show, it happens at various points. You know, in the in the fourth episode, Mariner and her mother have a really great episode and a great sequence together. Um, and then in the fifth episode, Mariner and Boimler really make strides in their relationship. So I think kind of piecemeal over the third to fifth episodes, we really started to care more for these characters and their interactions with each other.
0: Yeah. Okay. So then we have the, the bridge crew. Um, so we've got Carol Freeman the captain, Jack Ransom the first officer, Shaxx, the chief of security and Tana who's the ship's doctor who's kind of a cat alien. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um so these are the characters who would be like the main characters in a typical Star Trek show. Um and here you know that sort of flips where they're kind of secondary characters but um I don't Chris what do you think of those uh the the bridge crew?
3: Uh yeah, I mean they're they're definitely much more um uh, sort of archetypes and stereotypes, then th- they're less nuanced than the lower deck characters, but, um, they're, they're a lot of fun. I mean, I guess maybe my least favorite one, if I had to pick one, would be, uh, the doctor, uh, only because it, it is so, you know, it's sort of goofy. I know it harkens back to a, you know, a character from the original, um, cartoon series, which again, I hadn't watched, but I guess that's where they get that species mm-hmm. from. Um, but again, you know, it, it, like that's obvious to me. It's the most cartoonish element of the show. So I'm always a little bit like, eh, you know, when, when <laughs> I'm in a, in a, in a scene with him, but, but uh, you know, they're, they're fine. I think they work. And again, I think they work at their best when they're interacting, you know, yeah. with, with the lower deck crews. I mean, whether it's, uh, Ransom interacting with, uh, with Mariner or, uh, you know, you know, just, just different sort of the way they play off each other is, is what's, most interesting to me.
1: You know, I'm glad they went for it with Tana though, as a callback to the animated series, because you would never see that in a live action series. So it's kind of like, if you're going to do it, this is the time. Cause you're right. <laughs> it's inherently a little goofy, but it plays well enough when it's animated. Mm-hmm. And, um,
0: and the Jack Ransom character we should say is, is a very
1: obvious, like Will Riker,
0: like, yeah. like a super exaggerated <laughs> kind of parody version of Will Riker. Um, Sarah, what do you think about those, that bridge groom?
2: Yeah, I have to say the doctor is actually one of my favorite characters, just because <laughs> I've always loved the tradition in Star Trek of having these very grumpy doctors, you know, and McCoy and, uh, uh the EMH in Voyager. Um, and so it, it, you know, I, I sort of love that they're combining these things and tying it to that reference and basically saying, you know, that, that McCoy is a grumpy cat and I'm, I'm here for it. I love it.
0: Yeah. <laughs> See, I was getting all excited when I saw the cat doctor because I I thought um, is it male or female? I, I was I thought the doctor was female. It's female. Female, yeah. The um, that I thought that the doctor was uh, a kazin because I knew that Larry Niven had written. I, I think I know that there was one episode or something that he was involved with somehow where he'd put the kazin. This is a a cat alien species that features very prominently uh, in his known space. Mm. Um, series of, of books and um stories and so I, I was all excited to be able to go into the whole history of that but then it turns out that this cat is not a Kazin, but in what is something else um like a K- katian like, like a in yeah. or something <laughs> um so yeah but you know I, I, I managed to work in my larry niven reference anyway so mm-hmm. <laughs> nice <laughs>
1: You know, I think the fact that it's animated and comedy um, certainly affords some tonal advantages. You can have these secondary, somewhat one-dimensional characters, and it, it plays really well for laughs. I mean, like Shax, uh one of my favorite characters of the season. And, and, I mean, that would never fly in a live-action show because you'd be like, well, this thing is just a caricature of a character. But it, it works for Lower Decks. I thought he was, you know, same thing with Ransom. I mean, he's a caricature, but he's brilliant in his own way. Yeah. Yeah,
0: I don't, I don't know if I want to get into spoilers this early in the discussion, but I think I'm going to and just say that I was, I was totally crushed when Shaxx died. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh man, I don't know. And I don't know why. Cause like you say, yeah, he's just this kind of <laughs> very one dimensional, you know, character, but like I was, I was legitimately, uh, yeah. Absolutely Uh, distraught when he uh, sacrifices himself in the finale.
1: Well, to our point earlier about how the show just gets better and better as it goes, those final three episodes were great. And that last one. Yeah. I mean, I think that was really the moment for me where it it struck how great this show could actually be, because, you know, the whole thing is funny and amusing. But then it's really genuinely poignant when Shaq sacrifices himself and they played the funeral very straight, not for laughs at all. And yeah, I, I probably even teared up. It was emotional.
3: Yeah. I mean, especially when the, when the captain says Shaxx is with the prophets now, cause it, it, you know, it shows that they're, they're honoring not only the character, but, you know, it, the character's cultural history as a, as a Bajoran. And, and it, it yeah, it, it definitely, it was very poignant and unexpected in a way, but it, it kind of gave a, you know, a, a, a center of gravity to the, to the show that, um, again, just makes it all the more interesting.
1: Well, and I really respected the fact that they're not just going to stick with the status quo. I mean, by the end of – if we're going into just light spoilers here, just the fact that things are changing at the end of the season, you know, uh, characters moving on possibly to other ships, being promoted. You know, uh, I was impressed that we actually really don't know what season two is going to look like at this point, you know?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, so how about let's back up a little bit and just say um, what are some of the moments – that's st- like some of the episodes that stand out most in your minds, um, either good or bad. So, Sarah, any episodes that, like, when you think of this show, like, what would be some of the first things to come to mind?
2: I think the finale was my favorite in terms of overall, uh, just because it's sort of a culmination of the fact that. You have with this show. I, I like the fact that that they are telling one long, long, one long story, but they are also very episodic. So for those that are, you know, constantly crying about the lack of episodic Star Trek, this is this might be more up your alley. But at the same time, there are still character threads that are 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 being played throughout the whole series. Um, so I think I, I loved the, the final episode the most in total, but I think it's more like because of the structure of the show that there are just little moments that I, I, you know, were my favorite. Like the, when, um, when, uh, Boimler shows up with a Geordie teddy bear for his date and, you know, I mean, a lot of the jokes are very visual, like they're, and it's one of the the only criticism i have is the sh- with the show is that being 41 years old it is genuinely difficult for me to watch something that happens so quickly because uh, you end up sort of having to almost you want to go back and rewind because you feel like you miss something all the time um and you know and i i listen to my audiobooks at 1.5 speed so it isn't just that it's the combination of Quick visuals and quick uh di- dialogue that that gets me. Um I wish that it was just slowed down maybe twenty percent the next season. But you know, <laughs> yeah, so you well, have little like- I, I miss the like, Geordie
0: teddy bear altogether. So
2: see, you miss the Geordie Teddy Bear. And that just that, I mean, that's like a very small joke that references years of people talking about Jordy's uh romantic relationships in t n g and how problematic they were, and sort of arguing about the ethics of it, everything with Leah Brahms, like they put all of that into this funny little visual moment and you know, blink if you and you miss it. and you know there was a scene where they they were on an alien planet and there were like numerous like Vasquez rocks. Uh, uh-huh. you know, like just <laughs> the park in California that they always use for, for filming Star Trek, because it looks like an alien environment, little things like that. But, you know, again, it happens so quickly. And so you almost want to figure out a way to, you know, can I play this at, you know, <laughs> 70% speed, <laughs> please? Because, you know, there's a lot of miss. <laughs> but I, I I think that rather than having favorite episodes, I like just have a, a whole collection of favorite tiny moments like that.
1: Yeah, to Sarah's point, I do agree. It's more so uh, a great collection of moments than singular episodes per se. I mean, when I think about some of the stuff that stood out to me, it's really throwaway moments. But there was a moment in the finale where uh, Engineer Billups is trying to suck up to to a uh, mariner now that they all know her secret and he's just trying to give her a hand pie and she's like no i don't want a hand pie and like it sent me down a spiral of trying to actually find hand pies like hostess pies <laughs> and i was determined <laughs> i was like i really have a hankering now for a hand pie but anyway um <laughs> i think the first episode i really loved was cupid's errant uh, arrow because i'm such a ship guy and that uss vancouver blew me away um seeing the parliament class like that and it was just gorgeous and the whole episode with mariner and boimler kind of becoming better friends like through the whole how can boimler possibly have a girlfriend this cool Uh, i don't know the whole thing worked for me but then as it got towards the end yeah crisis point uh with the whole you know show within a show like the simulation and like all the throwbacks to the motion picture like that was some really gorgeous stuff you know the whole recreation of uh you know the the cerritos but like a ridiculously long sequence to hark back to the original introduction of the enterprise yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh chris you want to what uh
0: yeah i mean i episode
3: stood out to you I, I could just basically say ditto um but uh, but you know i'll just to expand very briefly yes I, I totally agree as well that it's hard for me to pick an episode as as my favorite If I had to, it would probably also be Crisis Point, again, just because it was sort of, I just had, you know, from beginning to end, a blast watching that episode for all the reasons uh, Raphael mentioned. Um, I also agree with the point that it's, I'm sure for every, you know, thing that I caught, there's like three things that I missed. Um, so I would like to go back and rewatch these at some point because it does all just zip right past you really fast. Um, but, uh, yeah, I don't know. Uh, you also, I think asked if we had favorites or, or least favorites. I don't know that again, it'd be hard for me other than the fact that I kind of struggled to get into it the first couple of episodes. Um, so maybe one of those two, but again, it would probably just come down to moments like, eh, you know, I, I get that it's funny, but I could take Badgy or leave him. You know, it's it, Badgie's just sort of like okay, you know. Again, it's just like it, it's almost like a bridge too far for for me.
0: Yeah, this is this is the murderous uh, hologram character who's shaped like the. I mean, uh, you know, the I, I get that they're Star riffing.
3: That. Yeah, I mean, and I get that they're riffing on the fact that somehow you know you would think they would have outlawed holodex by this point because of all the murder and mayhem that they've caused <laughs> in in Star Trek history, but and they're riffing on that, and and so fine, I get it, but it's just like well.
1: Okay. <laughs> well, admittedly I, I really liked Badgie because it was also a riff on the you know, the Microsoft Word little paperclip assistant oh, yeah, thing. Yeah. You know, and <laughs> yeah. and that just struck me. And I guess the moment where I was kind of won over by Badgie is when even he's getting tired climbing up the endless stairs chasing after <laughs> them. I was like, all right, this is pretty fun.
2: <laughs> yeah, just to just to let everyone know, Star Trek shit posting considers badgie basically canon like like Badgie is right. is a beloved character in Star Trek shit posting, <laughs> and I I think a lot of that just comes from you know the the convention culture that you know circulates this stuff where a lot of people are you know constantly buying the new badge from the new series whatever it is and the new cosplay or whatever. So it uh, you know just just the idea of 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 making that um, you know a uh, a, a, a anthropomorphic character is is great I loved it like I was I was basically sold just on the concept alone so yeah soft spot well, for well,
0: that. so Sarah, Sarah you were saying that there's multiple things that people in Star Trek ship posting think that they you know um, originated <laughs> yeah like, it, what are some other examples of that? so
2: things like um, making fun of Captain Jellico there 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 is a whole series of memes within memes within memes about making fun of Jellico um, I because, you know, so for those who remember the Jellico character in T N G, he came in and was basically assumed cap captaincy of the Enterprise for a couple of weeks, a couple of months. I don't remember, it's been a long time. Uh, but he was basically a stand in for Picard for a couple of episodes. And it was he was so different for Picard that a lot of the drama revolved around, you know, oh, how do we, you know, react with this completely new character who um, has a very different style of leadership than Picard had. Um, and so in Star Trek shitposting, Jellicoe is kind of this character that everybody kind of makes fun of. And when somebody in the group is being a little bit too, um, you know, straight laced about something or whatever we call him Jellico, And so it's, it's very <laughs> meta. It's really hard to explain without actually, you know, re- you know, retreading all of the jokes and where it originated and everything, but it's just sort of become a, a straight laced. And so at one point I think uh Mariner calls uh, a character, God, Jellico, you know, and little things like that. And again, because they're happening so quickly, it's, it's really even hard to even necessarily t- describe them as jokes. Um, But it is something that you're going to enjoy a lot more. If you are familiar with the history of making fun of that character, than you would be otherwise
1: you know just a quick aside uh shit posting groups are are great whether it's you know lord of the rings shire posting or yeah. you know <laughs> like blade runner shit posting i don't know there's so much great humor that comes out of those
2: they really are
0: sir do you know if any like i you know i looked around a little bit but um do you know if any like what would be the best resource for explaining all the little in jokes and stuff in this in this show do you know of something
2: I mean, I, you know, there probably should be like some sort of compendium online, like, and I'm sure one will pop up soon. Like somebody out there has, has got to be obsessed enough with this to actually bother to, to put them all out there. Um, But I I don't think there is. I think it's one of those things that, you know, at this point you, you have 55 years or so of Star Trek and you have something ridiculous. Like there's like 600 hours of Star Trek available. And it's almost at this point when you have a a franchise that's this old, it ceases to become a franchise, Obviously, it still is from a legal perspective, but it becomes more like mythology, you know, and so we are able to watch movies in in this culture about Thor understanding that there there is a very long, complicated history tied to it that we're all sort of you know, familiar with by osmosis, even though none of us have directly studied it other than the people who have, you know, and little things like that. And so I feel like because Star Trek has become almost mythological on that level. I mean, imagine the Star Trek we're going to be watching in 50 years. It's mm. hard to imagine <laughs> at this point, the series dying, because the idea is unique enough, and rich enough that you can always find little offshoots uh, there's so many things that they could do with this with this core idea of what what is star trek and so i think that it, it it's fascinating to me as a fan that you can make a show this meta and have enough people enjoy it that it almost doesn't matter if half the jokes are lost on half the mm-hmm. audience and that's an extraordinary accomplishment
1: yeah in terms of great resources, David, what I'd really recommend for this or any show, um, when I'm watching any show, Star Trek, Stargate, whatever, I like to keep up with the the fandom Wikipedia entry for each episode. And for Star Trek, it's memory alpha. Because if you go to any given episode, they talk about the background information, production history, continuity. Like I was just reading up on uh, the finale and how there's uh, – part of Mariner's Contraband is the infamous Spock helmet from the 70s, you know, stuff like that. (laughs) (laughs) Well,
0: I mean, it sounds like we're all quite enthusiastic about the show. Um, I did notice where's the, um, the Rotten Tomatoes um, sort of overall summary thing is kind of lukewarm. Uh, So on Rotten Tomatoes, the show is 66% and the, Cites critical consensus, reads, fun but not very bold. Lower Decks flips the script on Star Trek regulation just enough to stand out in the franchise, if not the greater animation landscape.
1: Well, here's the thing you got to keep in mind about Rotten Tomatoes when it comes to TV. It, basically, it's useless because the critics put up their reviews from just the first two or three episodes and then never revisit.
0: Okay, so you think – I want to get Chris back in here too, but so, but everyone thinks that if um, – I don't know, because I, – I, what, what what's your perception of what the reception of the show has been? Because I don't feel like it's been as enthusiastic as we we seem to be.
2: I think you have to be a member of the the groups. Like, you know, because I'm in Star Trek shitposting that has a ridiculous number of followers, uh, you know, and, and I'm in like maybe probably 10 groups just on Facebook alone. And that's not even including like Twitter and Instagram and accounts that I follow there. And so you have to sort of be in those groups to understand what are the fans saying and you know that in itself can be a little bit uh uh, misleading because for instance if you go there are certain groups on the on facebook that are not very well modded uh moderated um and so you have groups for instance the star trek picard group is a free-for-all there's a lot of people who join just to be very toxic and say toxic, awful things about Star Trek Picard and link to their shitty YouTube videos explaining every nitpicky thing that they hated about it. Um, you know, and you have uh, just like with this with Discovery, you have people who talked about the about Lower Decks as, well, why is there a black captain and a black Lead, why both? And it's like, really? (laughs) You're going to complain about that. (laughs) So you have, you know, you have the full spectrum. But I think that again, this goes back to how many people are familiar enough with Star Trek that you can do something like this that's an experiment. And I also think that the bar has to be a little bit less, uh, in terms of how many people they need in order to make a second season, right? Because with Discovery, the budget is so much greater. Uh, you know it's like 10 million an episode or something stupid and so I, that obviously is not the same with lower decks so they probably can also afford to be a little bit more niche
0: yeah well let me just explain quickly that um the show was initially uh, green lighted for two seasons so there is definitely gonna and it's in the second season is in production now um but there was always going to be a second season but um chris do you want to um is there anything you've been wanting to say here
3: Uh, not, not with regard to, I mean, I don't really have any sense of what the reception has been, but I don't about most shows. So, you know, that's, that's (laughs) nothing new, but, um, the one thing that I I was thinking before and then I forgot to mention was, is I really hope there's been, you know, a lot of speculation about if we're going to see Riker appear again in season two of Picard all I want to say is if he does, I sincerely hope that he engages his ship by saying warp factor at five, six, seven, eight. <laughs> and they should keep that. That was, that was one of my favorite, favorite laugh out loud moments of the entire.
2: Yeah, I, I think season. I was screaming when when that when that part happened, and I was watching it in the gym on my Peloton. And so, you know, my boyfriend like peeped in the room, like, "What are you okay in there?" <laughs> yeah,
3: that was that was just brilliant. It, it, <laughs> along with with Troy's, you know, under the breath, like, "Oh, the jazz." After <laughs> yeah. after that
1: happened, <laughs> that was great.
0: Yeah, so I guess let's just just explain if you haven't seen the show that at the at the very end of the uh, finale you know, like there are all these alien ships come in and it looks like our character, our heroes are doomed, and then um uh Riker and Troy show up and kinda of save the day. And then the implication is that um uh Boymore is gonna go off and and serve with with Riker and and leave the the other characters uh behind on the on the on their ship, the Ceridos.
1: And most triumphantly, that means that the USS Titan design in the Luna class is now official canon. So I'm very happy about that, as are <laughs> others, I'm sure. <laughs>
0: um, do you want to, could you just explain that for oh. casual viewers?
1: Oh, sure. Um, that design that they used for the USS Titan was first introduced on a book cover, I, I think, 12, 15 years ago. Don't quote me exactly. And it became a fan favorite. Um, think it was actually a fan design they held some kind of contest if i'm wrong someone will let you know but <laughs> that's how i remember it going down uh so they, they finally made this canon and that made a lot of people happy so it was a pretty sweet design hmm. um
0: all right any other uh sort of uh, episodes or moments that stick out to people
1: um Raphael? Oh, boy. You know, I loved that moment. I I can't remember which episode it is. Um, But they're walking through the corridor and uh, Mariner and and Tendi come across a non-corporeal entity, which we'd seen so many of over the years (laughs) in Trek. And of course, it's talking a big game, like how he's going to (laughs) basically dominate the crew and destroy them. And she just starts stuffing it into a container. And he's like, wait, don't do do that. And she's like, well, could you make me a tricorder? And he's like, well, maybe it would take a lot of effort. Uh, I can put you in this container if you don't. <laughs> it's like essentially <laughs> she gets him to waste like nine-tenths of his energy on making a tricorder and battery, and then he just dies when he runs into the captain two seconds later. So, that, I don't know, stuff like that really struck me. And, and the and the guy who wanted to become non-corporeal, uh, you know, essentially was just lying but then actually does achieve it, but it was totally okay. painful and horrible. I mean, that was fantastic. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> Yeah, that was definitely one of the most memorable moments of the show to me. And I I don't know that I even actually watched enough uh, TNG to to get the full full story on what was going on there. But that's a reference to um, Wesley Crusher, like turning into some super being or something. Or is there more to that that I'm, I'm not aware of?
1: You know, I suppose that's kind of an oblique reference to Wesley and the traveler and just any non-corporeal entity that they've come across. It actually kind of reminded me more of Stargate to be honest. I thought the writers were probably just throwing in a little bit of love to Stargate because ascension was a thing in that, like Daniel Jackson, you know, and other characters aspired to leave the corpo- corporeal realm and become, you know, higher beings.
2: Yeah, I think just as many specific jokes that they have. There there are just as many uh uh jokes that work for the overall trope. So it doesn't necessarily have to be a specific episode if it's something that you recognize as, oh, yeah, that happened in TNG like 10 times.
1: Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I just love that the guy was a total fraud, you know, but then accidentally found himself ascending. And it was such a horrible experience to go through.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I mean one of the best episodes or one of the best uh examples of that is when uh Mariner is convinced that this that that the girlfriend of Boimler is way too good for him to be real and therefore he mm-hmm. must be she must be an alien. She must be and it's like okay, that's referencing several several episodes of Star Trek where there's been a romantic interest, you know, who turns out to be bad or turns out to be, you know, uh not being truthful or turns out to be a murdering alien and i'm like yeah that's (laughs) literally what happened like multiple times at least one time per season so yeah
0: yeah that was one of my favorite episodes and um yeah i I really i I really liked kind of the twist at the end too where it it kind of reverses (laughs) that it was kind of like it's been a while now since i watched the orville but that was kind of giving me big orville flashbacks i think there's sort Mm -hmm. of some similar ideas in there And I guess I think Sarah, you don't like the Orville, right? Or like because these this would seem on its surface to be a pretty similar sort of show. So I'd just be curious to hear why you think this is why this works for you and the Orville doesn't.
2: So the Orville, first of all, features Seth MacFarlane, and Seth MacFarlane (laughs) has an extremely punchable face, and you either (laughs) love Seth MacFarlane or you cannot stand him and makes your skin crawl. And unfortunately I am in that latter group. Uh he he has made my skin crawl ever since he hosted the Oscars. Like I think before then I was pretty Seth neutral and after that I was just like I hate this guy. Uh <laughs> and you know and, and he can't really claim because you know he was sort of playing himself in that. So you know you can't really complain that it's just the style of a family guy or whatever. I was also never super impressed with the family guy whenever I saw it. Like there were always funny things but Not enough to go back and consciously watch it again. Um, And so I watched a couple episodes of the Orville when it came out, and I totally understood what it was trying to do. Uh, And I think I honestly maybe even would have really loved it if he had been the showrunner and not also in it. Um, And so part of my objections are totally, you know, sort of personal and rational. Um, But I think that, you know, because it's him, it's got this sort of 12 year old boy humor, in addition to being sort of a TNG fanfic show. And ultimately, you know, I have so many friends who love it. And I don't think less of them at all. It just sort of, <laughs> it wasn't enough for me to keep coming back. And so I think that, that you know, there's it's just sort of complex for me. And part of that is that there are so many good shows right now. It's, it's hard to keep up. It's, it's, you Mm -hmm. genuinely have anxiety about like, Oh man, you know, like, how do I, how do I, it's almost like you look forward to when you can finally call something. Like I'm totally on the fence (laughs) right now about WandaVision. And, you know, it seems to be one of those things that people either are going to love or hate. And so far I'm really not sold on the concept and you know, it's almost like, oh, it would be such a relief if I don't like this, because <laughs> I can have time <laughs> well, for other things.
0: Yeah. Well, but but the the um, TNG fanfic uh, with a twelve year old boy's sense of humor, like, could apply to Lower Decks, right? I, or, I mean, so a, a lower lot of decks, stuff.
2: I think that if Lower Decks had had more male characters as their main character, like if Boimler was the main character and you know his buddy instead of being mariner was say tendy and she was just there for the supporting romance like it's very subtle but very dramatic if you are used to always seeing the guy be the main character and so i think that if lower decks had just been ever so slightly different uh, in terms of temperature it would have been enough to turn it off for me if if it if the main character weren't female it would have been enough to turn it off for me so it's almost Refreshing, seeing a female character deliver lines that are body than it you know than it is to see uh, Seth McFarlane deliver the same lines or or something similar
1: well, you know this is actually kind of fascinating because um, i didn't even think about this till right now, but i don't actually view in my mind Boimler and Beckett are co main characters. So it's kind of interesting how we both kind of watch it, but take something different from it too, which is kind of related relates to your point. Um, that's interesting.
2: Yeah. I mean, I see him as, as, as slightly more of a supporting character than her. Um, but yeah, I mean, he probably gets, uh, as much, you know, whatever the animated equivalent of screen. <laughs> yeah, <time screened>. is. <laughs> yeah.
3: You know, it's funny. You talk about Seth MacFarlane. I had totally forgotten until I just a couple of months ago did, went back and did a rewatch of Enterprise that he actually has like a recurring cameo role on Enterprise where he plays one of the uh the the engineering crew on there and when he first reappeared on the show I guess when I saw it the first time or the you know the previous time through I didn't know who Seth MacFarlane was so it was just like random you know guy um, when I suddenly see Zach McFarland's big face in those scenes, I remember thinking, like, "Oh yeah, he must right, right. He must. He's oh, he must be a bad guy. He, he's he's going to somehow pull a double cross here." And then he, and then he doesn't. But I think I'm th- the only reason I thought that is because his face was so punchable that I wanted, <laughs> I wanted Trip to end up
2: punching him,
3: yeah. and, it, and it never happens. He's just like yeah. some, you know. But anyway, I mean, that's very I, funny. I respect
2: the fact that he's a Star Trek fan. He's he grew up with Star Trek. It's very clear that he loves it. You know, I I've got no beef. It's just it's not enough mm-hmm. for to show up for him. You know what I mean?
0: Right. Yeah. Well, 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 Chris, <laughs> let me ask let me ask you because you said that you tend to hate it when they take something in general when they take something kind of serious or that you like and and try to make it you know change it to make it funnier or whatever. And there is a lot of sort of like yeah, like I uh, I think Sarah used the word body or. Uh, maybe that was Raphael, but sort of risque kind of, you know, there's like stuff that's bleeped out. I'll, I'll just read this. This this is the part that jumped out at me is uh, they're trying to get um, Mariner to the, the captain and first officer are trying to get Mariner to, to quit and move to another ship. And uh, uh, the captain says, then give her worse jobs. And the first officer says. <laughs> I've got her emptying bleep out of the holodex bleep filter. And the captain says, oh, people really use it for that? And he says, oh, yeah, it's mostly that. (laughs) That was
3: so great. That's great. No, no, you know, well, to answer your question or what I think your question is. Yeah. You know, this was a fear that I had before watching it. it. It works for me, though, because even though it is comedic and all the rest of it, I don't feel like it's a show where they just completely pulled you know pulled the rug out and and did something totally like off the wall and different it feel it feels like a star trek show um mm-hmm. it 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 even though it's uh, animated even though it's got way more humor than any of the other shows you know you could almost look at it you know but but it still remains true to the the canon and to the Mm -hmm. to the to the rules that have been established in the Star Trek world so it's not just like oh this is just some goofy nonsense like you could almost look at it as though this is sort of the you know like uh I don't know like a history of this era of Star Trek written you know by a historian with a great sense of humor you know Mm -hmm. like so it's just the presentation of it that's funny but the core show itself is is just as much a Star Trek show as any other one
1: Oh yeah, it connects so well and meaningfully to prior shows. Um one of my favorite moments was in, in Temporal Edict when the whole thing about buffer time, you know, that, that that was one of the episodes for me that really pushed the show forward into the next level. And that that whole thing called back that classic TNG episode with Geordie and old Scotty. Remember that one where he's like, uh, he's like, you've got a lot to learn, Sonny. If you want people to think of you as a miracle worker, because Geordi was mistakenly just telling Picard how long things actually take. He's like, no lad, you can't do that. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, gosh, yeah. Uh, I had other ones in mind a moment ago. Oh, the exocomp peanut hamper. That was a great example of bringing back a wonderful episode element, but in a really funny way. And then when peanut hamper refuses to essentially do a suicide mission, he's like, "Nope, I'm <laughs> yeah. out."
0: <laughs> yeah, well, because well, the you know, I, I just listened to an interview with Mike McC- McMahon. It was like a two-hour-long interview, and and that was when I was I really started getting this this vertiginous sense of like, wow, there's so much stuff in this show that is is just going over my head. Um, but he he was because t- the thing I was going to you know my my note on that on that quote that I just read was that I felt like um, like this show was dealing with the reality that, yeah, people would be, like, having sex with holograms, right? Mm-hmm. Like, if there's a holodeck, like, that's what everyone would be using it for. And that, that this show is kind of going there when Star Trek didn't. But they, but he was making it sound like there was a character um, that that came – I forget. in this show. I think in this show, there's a character named Fletcher or something mm-hmm. who was modeled on a character named Barclay, Barclay. Yeah. I think. Yeah, yeah. Can someone explain to me, because he was saying something about Barclay's like harem of hologram mm-hmm. characters or something like that.
2: I mean, again, this is like a a, a thing that, you know, is, is super entrenched in Star Trek shitposting because it's something that got made fun of over and over and over again, you know, and and, and just sort of all of the things that you would imagine would actually take place on these holodecks unless there were very specific rules against it. Uh, and, and the fact, I mean, they dealt, they had an episode of Voyager when, um, Tuvok goes, goes, and, you know, the, the doctor basically has to program, uh, a a holographic program because he's going through pon far and he's not with his wife because his wife is 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 in this other you know far far away so they have a whole episode about that so you know it it makes sense
3: you know it it was certainly addressed repeatedly and and point blank on deep space nine too with quark's hologram i mean you know everyone was using that for sex basically yeah. yeah. <laughs> either, either that or doing the Battle of Britain. It was like one or the other, you know.
1: But, you know, Barclay was a classic character. He really grew on me over time. I didn't like him at first, admittedly. But, you know, when they kept bringing him back for Voyager and future appearances, I thought it was pretty endearing because the thing with him was he was kind of incompetent but also supremely competent he just wasn't a good officer and yeah i was reading how mcmahon basically said fletcher was kind of an analog to that essentially he had some skills but was not a good officer and so i love that he gets promoted mistakenly and then immediately fired because he should never have been promoted
0: (laughs) um let's see Look at my notes here. Um, I thought it was interesting that um, Star Trek author David Mack served as a consultant on the series to ensure the series would fit within the franchise's canon. Mm. So, um, yeah, because because uh, like I was saying, like so much of the stuff, like the uh, the techno babble, like you know, it seems like really really good. You know, like I'm like I got the sense that you know, I mean, they're just they're just totally throwing. It's just kind of like throwaway lines, but I really got the sense that oh, there's some. Star Trek book somewhere that all these things uh you know have some fictional reality to them.
1: Yeah.
3: Well they yeah, I mean they, one example of that, and that's another one of those just like throwaway lines that it's like you'll miss it if you don't hear it. it at one point they referred to a part of the ship as cetacean ops, which is fantastic because it's like I guess that's the part of the ship where they carry the whales, which we were talking about last time. Uh, you know, where did they mm-hmm. put a whale on a ship? <laughs>
0: yeah which which is a reference to star trek 4 mm-hmm. um that actually one thing i wanted to bring up i guess you know star trek 4 is really thinking back on it now you know it's, it's one of my favorite star trek movies but it's really a comedy i mean i feel like you know it it it's as much a comedy as anything else and more so i, I feel like then any of the other Star Trek movies, I'm trying to think. But oh, yeah. I, feel, yeah. I feel like Star Trek Four is a comedy that works. And so much of, and maybe part of the reason I was sort of apprehensive about this show is I feel like there's been a lot of Star Trek humor that has not worked. Right. Um, particularly like the the later TNG movies, I feel like. like oh, yeah. There's a, a line that really, I actually mm-hmm. wrote it down. It's, it's so bad. But so in Second Contact, which overall is a movie I like a lot, but there's a part where they're talking to Zefram um, Cochran, I mean, first contact. First contact. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Oh, sorry. I have a note here about second contact. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, Star Trek first contact. Lower Decks is um, about second contact.
2: <laughs> you're
0: right. Yeah. yeah, see, that was the next thing I was going to go. We'll, we'll, get, we'll get to, once I finish up on first contact, then we'll get to second contact. But, um, yeah, where they, they're talking to uh, Zephyr and Cochran, Cochran, and they say, and he says something like, "Um, so you're all astronauts on some kind of <laughs> Star Trek. Trek. It's just like one of the worst jokes yeah. <laughs> in any movie I've ever seen. And so I think, like, yeah, like that, that was part of the reason I was uh, apprehensive about yeah, well, the potential for Star Trek humor.
2: I mean, I, th- I feel like partly why, but you can't really, I mean, the tone of TNG is overall so serious. And I think they struggled with humor just because of that, because they didn't really factor that in, you know, in terms of how to make that work. And when, when it worked, it was usually involving Data or Worf. Like it, it, it was, it was really difficult. And I think that, you know, I mean, shit, the uh Cromwell, the actor who played Zefran Cochran in that film did a great job. And that was definitely one of the, the, the cringeworthy lines that you feel like were almost put there as a joke for somebody who is watching this movie, who isn't a Star Trek fan, which was weird. But yeah, I feel like TNG overall was almost so serious and took itself seriously to the point where it was almost difficult for them to do comedy when they did.
1: I feel like there were a lot of funny moments. I can't think of one right now, but whenever Picard would get upset and play something very straight, essentially be the straight man in a scene where something terrible was happening, you know, around him. But there was definitely some funny moments in that sense. But what's interesting about the fourth movie, uh, to your point, David, is it was kind of the end of that trilogy. Like it was an unofficial trilogy of movies, but they kept the continuity from Wrath of Khan to Search for Spock to uh, – what was the fourth one called? Voyage Home. Um, yeah, but the tone changed dramatically from two to three to four. So that
2: was Yeah, it worked. It, it's really amazing. It, yeah. I, I, I spend way more time thinking about that movie than I should mm-hmm. I, I've probably seen it about 300 times.
1: Well, you know, <laughs> one of my favorite episodes of this season was Veritas, the way it harked back to the Undiscovered Country. They took the whole trial motif, I thought, from yeah. that, you know?
2: Yeah. Yeah, and that's something that you would never have thought that they were going to make fun of because it works as drama – so, why would they, why would they make fun of it? But, but they did, and it was great. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. And that's uh, an example of what I was talking about earlier, where, where Mike McMahon is able to have these really genuinely, um, kind of inventive science fictional plots in these, in these cartoons with the, with humor. And so, in that one, <laughs> um, uh, Rutherford, uh, is is uh sort of pressured into, into i forget he some somehow somehow he installs some sort of software update into his cyborg eye and this causes him to uh to be to constantly be rebooting and so uh while he's kind of unconscious his cyborg i th- I, I'm, <laughs> I hope i'm getting the details right here but his his cyborg uh, implants are kind of taking over and so he's having all these adventures but he's only kind of like seeing you know, like hours will pass and then he sees a couple seconds and then hours pass and he sees a couple seconds and he has absolutely no <laughs> idea what's going on. Um, but it's really like you're like, oh, I've never this is really inventive. And, yeah. you know, uh, I, I haven't seen this uh, this story before.
2: Yeah. Overall, the, even the, the, the way that they made fun of the technology itself, you know, the technology was allowed to be imperfect, whereas in TNG, you take it for granted. Uh, but in lower decks, it's like, oh, well, you know, it's, it makes sense that you would, you know, be in a crisis and all of a sudden the, the tech would want to reboot something or would want to download the latest update the way that our tech does. And that's a wonderful thing to play with. You
0: Sarah, know? Our, our tech, we never have any problems with our <laughs> tech. <laughs> I know what you're talking about.
2: Yeah, certainly nothing to do with <laughs> trying to use, uh, Simple pair of Bose headphones to Bluetooth, two different Bluetooth technologies. <laughs> Surely nothing like that.
0: <laughs> um. But yeah. So let's see. Uh, so Chris, any other anything else to say on the humor? It, it all it all worked for you here. No no, I, no, I, uh, I, no wrong notes or
3: no. I mean, it actually. You know, like I said, I I was a little lukewarm to to Badgy, but but other than that, I uh, yeah, no, it all does work. And again, I think the reason it works is because the humor. Never broke with canon, and 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 I think if it did, then it would have just seemed like this was all just some sort of s- bit of silliness. But the fact that the humor was all within, you know, uh, the rules, it, it it actually made it work all that much better for me.
0: Yeah. All right. So now that we've wrapped up first contact, we will move on to second contact. <laughs> so the because I, I really so in the the first episode, I guess the way we're kind of introduced to this world is that yeah, you've got the, you know, the, the enterprise, the, the, the real like adventurous heroes who make first contact with all these alien civilizations. And then you have the ships like the Cerritos where they're kind of like, you know, not, 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 not as good. And they come along afterward and set up the, you know, communications equipment and rest I don't know, restaurants or something like that. I thought that was really, I mean, that makes sense that you would have, that the Starfleet would need people mm-hmm. like that, the second contact kind of teams. And I thought it was kind of, interesting that we've, I don't, as far as I know, we've never seen that before. Um, and that, that this show kind of, uh, uh, you know, brought that to the fore.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Definitely. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody has anything else to say about second contact?
2: Only just that I think that, that where a lot of the, the fan love comes in with, with, with stuff like this is that, you know you have so much in star trek because you're always seeing what's going on on the bridge you you know part of the uh wish fulfillment aspect is you wonder what it's like to just live on the ship mm. you know you wonder what it's like to just just hang out and and observe uh and so i think that you know that that this scratches that particular desire uh from a fan perspective. Mm-hmm. So, you know, with that in mind, they they have so much that they could do to play with it. So, it's it's uh it's just a neat idea because it it doesn't come out of nowhere. It doesn't exist in a vacuum. It really is in response to thinking about what do people feel when they watch Star Trek? What are people thinking about inserting themselves into those situations? And you know, how all of that would play out. So I think that uh, that's one of the reasons why I feel like they actually have a lot of material to work with here.
1: Yeah, you know, it was a great concept for the show and the, and the ship's mission because just as the show itself focuses on the lower decks and the characters that are kind of off center, uh, so is the entire Cerritos. You know, they're part of the lower decks of Starfleet. They're not, you know, getting a glamorous assignment, but it's actually a vital assignment. So, you know, I, I actually think it was kind of perfect. You know, this is a macro analog to the point of the show.
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah. I also thought it was, you know, I mean, because there's so much. It's such a thing in um, in making fun of Star Trek, the idea that, you know, the captain and the first officer and the doctor and then some random red shirt beam down to the planet and then the red shirt dies. I think there, you know, there would be sort of the, the most obvious thing to do with a show like this is that they're all like dying all the time and, you know, and how do they feel about dying all the time? And that I was I was actually really glad that they didn't take that route and that they, you know, yeah, they they took it more seriously in a way. I mean, I think that yeah, there's not even a single reference to like red shirts dying in this show. And
2: thank there? God, because it's it's kind of like when somebody makes a red shirt joke in Star Trek shitposting, everybody kind of piles on and makes jokes like "Welcome new member," <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> because it's just it's it's just been played out to death. And yeah. and I really appreciate that. You know, this is a, a very sophisticated show. Who sort of You know, did their research and or are just a part of these subcultures anyway, to start with. So they already know these things have already been done. We're not going to make I mean, people send me memes all the time that originated in Star Trek shitposting three years ago. And like people who are not Trekkies, and they send it to me because they know I like Star Trek, and they have no idea that not only did i have i seen that meme 3 years ago but i've seen all 10 memes that reference it ever since <laughs> you know and it's it's you just sort of have to like it oh thanks for sending me that grandma and <laughs> and move along but so i i really appreciated it that the show did not say we're going to do galaxy quest except in as a series. Yeah.
1: Also, you know, it just wouldn't really be timely by this time of this show because the colors had changed from a hundred years prior, you know, next Mm -hmm. generation changed up the the color codes.
2: Yeah. It's really a TOS joke. Yeah. Yeah. Only (laughs) that, that, you know, one thing
3: about second contact, the episode um, also, you know, I do think that they, they still hadn't quite, you know, in the first couple episodes, as we said, nailed to the, the 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 two sort of main characters, uh Boimler and Mariner. But but even in that early episode, we really start to get you have this one of my favorite moments with um the Orion character, what is she, Tendi. She like when, when they show her down where they all sleep in the sort of bunks or whatever, and it's like, Yeah, sorry, this is where we are, and she looks and it's like they just have this view of like the two nacelles like glowing on either side, and she's just mm-hmm. like they're like apologizing to her and she's like, Oh, it's perfect. You know, and mm-hmm. just how much she loves being able to see, you know, the engines in action. And they also sneak in that, that, that great joke. They were just like, yeah, and we're also right by the showers. So it gets kind of musty down here, which is weird. Cause they're sonic showers. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that was a great moment though. Like it was honestly heartfelt and gorgeous the way they illustrated that. I really liked yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. I did too. I mean, it, it
3: set up Tandy right away. Like you understood who Tandy was going to be and, and, and it's an, it, and it made her interesting
1: to me. Yeah, and it, it kind of illustrated how, you know, jaded everyone else around her had become because to any of us, how incredible would that be just that yeah. view. you. Yeah.
0: Um, right cool. Any thoughts on uh, season 2? Any predictions or uh, things you're hoping to see?
3: I don't know. I was so surprised by everything that I liked in season 1 that I don't, I don't know. I'm just happy to let them surprise me again to be honest how
0: how long do you think that boymore will stay with uh, with riker
1: that's honestly the big question i mean i have no idea and i kind of like not having any idea i guess i haven't even really tried to think about it because i'm just going to sit back and if they actually keep him with riker and troy for a while in the titan that'd be kind of awesome but i'm sure they probably won't like eventually they'll find a way to bring him and beckett back together
2: yeah, I have no expectations. Just because you know, I, th- I think it's it's almost it's well done enough that they could do so many things with it at this point that I have absolutely no idea what they're going to do. And it's nice. It's yeah, it's a nice place to be. And I think that you know, if they do get to the point where they're always new Star Trek, they might lose something because I feel like you know, when there are periods of dry Trek, I'll go back and check on things that I hadn't necessarily paid attention to. Uh, you know, and like when, when Lower Decks first came out, I was watching every episode when it came out until about halfway through. And then I got busy. I think the Christmas season, you know, was, was a sort of overwhelming and there were a lot of things going on, even though we were all in quarantine, which is actually amazing. But, um, you know, I just kind of lost track of it. And then I thought, oh, I'll go pick that up later. So the fact that, you know, we go through periods Where And, you know, the whole, I had originally, when Voyager originally came out, I watched it up until the introduction of Seven of Nine. I was so mad at how they handled that, that I stopped watching. And then I picked that back up again during Dry Trek. So I think even just having a few months where there isn't new Star Trek is kind of good for their overall bottom line. Because you sort of check on the things that you're not as super excited about and catch up. Mm.
1: True. In terms of season two, uh, I'm just glad they did get that two-season order, like you mentioned, David. So this way we know they had a plan from the start for two seasons, and at least that much will be a really cool story. Yeah,
2: it makes sense, too. It's almost like at this point you almost have to – I don't know why more shows don't just start out with a two-season order, because it takes a long time for the hype and the fans of a show to assemble and recognize each other. And sort of, I mean, you mm-hmm. know, these days with shows, advertising itself isn't even anywhere near as powerful as people talking about your show on Facebook. So mm-hmm. sometimes it takes a bit for that to catch up with itself. And you see, you know, shows that were just recently canceled. We just started watching um Brave New World and it was already canceled, you know, with Peacock, which is a really weird mm-hmm. venue for that show. And it's just like, oh, okay. so. <laughs>
1: I was just about to mention Brave New World. It drives me insane when <laughs> expensive shows aren't just given two seasons right off the bat. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, if you're remotely interested in a thing, it's like you know, you're not just going to call quits after one date. You're probably going to go on two dates. I don't know. Give it a chance.
2: <laughs> yeah, it's a really naive way of understanding how how sort of you know shows sort of build their fan base and snowball, you know, and and we we have plenty of examples like what happened with Firefly. Like, yeah. this is not hard, you guys.
1: <laughs> yeah, it takes time. And I don't know if you saw my thread on Facebook, Sarah, but I posted about Brave New World and 10 or 12 people said they loved the show. I mean, that was a show that really could have, and interesting, interestingly enough, um, for whatever reason, they were all women too. Like that show really hit strong with women, yeah. if my Facebook yeah, was any Yeah, I had a, a few
2: issues with it, but I think it was, it was good overall. in it, and, and the issues that I had with it were specific. And so it's like, you know, overall, th- what they were doing well they were doing really well so i was disappointed
1: so bottom line david you right. should watch brave new world
0: <laughs> yes yeah, i was gonna
1: say save it, save
0: it for the brave new world panel um i guess i guess it sounds like we're pretty much we've pretty much said everything we have to say about star trek lower decks any um any other final thoughts or anything
1: you know i guess my closing thoughts are um I really loved the California class ships being a Californian. I thought that was just a really cool little thing. Hmm. Uh, And I loved how the ships even had color stripes to denote what they were for, whether medical ship, um, you know, like second command or second, second contact ship. Um, I just thought that was a neat innovation and uh, just overall the show, you know, it's, it's a vibrant, gorgeous, hilarious, and heartfelt addition to the Star Trek canon. I mean, I, I was dubious, but I can't recommend it enough. It's great. All right, cool,
3: Uh, Chris.
1: Any final thoughts? Uh, yeah, just
3: basically to to say more or less the same thing that it, you know, if you have not yet watched it, do give it a chance. Um, and by you know by this third or fourth episode, uh, you know, it it definitely, you know, kicks into high gear. And I was very very pleasantly surprised by it. I'm, I'm I'm definitely you know looking forward to the second season. Yeah.
0: And Sarah, final thought.
2: Um, yeah, just, you know, if, if you're, if your Star Trek love language is making fun of Star Trek, then this is the show for you. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, it's enjoyable. And yeah. And I mean, it's, it's definitely like, I don't know. It's first, at first glance, it might seem to be just kind of like a filler kind of throwaway thing, but it was obviously when you watch it, it was obviously made with a lot of love and a lot of knowledge of Star Trek. Yeah. And so, yeah, if, if, uh, if the idea of, uh, humorous uh, star trek cartoon appeals to you at all and yeah, you know, maybe even if it doesn't it's, it's definitely <laughs> worth watching at least the first three episodes and seeing uh you know uh seeing how you like it from there
1: because you know i wasn't kidding i i really enjoyed picard and discovery but if i could only keep one of these shows going forward it's probably lower decks yeah
0: well i'm sure mike mcmahon will be happy to hear that <laughs>
1: um all right close.
0: Cool, so why don't we uh, wrap things up there So we've been speaking with Sarah Lynn Mishner, Raphael Jordan, and Christopher M. Savasco. So thanks, everyone, so much for joining us. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks a lot, man. And that was our panel. So big thanks again to Sarah Lynn Mishner, Raphael Jordan, and Christopher M. Savasco for joining us on the show. And remember that Geeks Guide to the Galaxy is made possible thanks to support from listeners like you. So if you enjoy the show and want it to continue, please sign up to give us a dollar or two per episode over at patreon.com slash geeks. And if you'd rather make a one-time contribution, you can do that via check or PayPal over at geeksguideshow.com slash crowdfunding. So big thanks again to everyone who's contributed. We really appreciate it. All right, so that was our show. So thanks, everyone, for listening. And we'll see you next time.
3: The Geek's Guide to the Galaxy is a production of Wired.com. For more information about the show